Today's guest, Stefan Schmidt, CTO Coach. KPIs, metrics, goals, OKRs, it's just the same thing, but it's not. Um, it's very different. A KPI is something very different than an OKR. Um, but I see this too often conflated and this is not helping. Um, the OKR for me is about the objective and uh, having impact. So having an objective is something that changes the company, that changes the product, that changes the customer perception, something that has impact. It's, you know, after you achieved an objective, you're not the same company. So if you go to Mount Everest and you're at base camp, your objective is reaching base camp, then you're at base camp and, and you're no longer, um, I don't know what's, what's where you start, but, uh, you know, then base camp one and then you go to base camp two and it's it, it notably, noticeably different. And this is the same with OKRs. If, if the objective is not changing in some way, the company or the product or the mark, your market penetration or anything, then I don't think it's an objective. It, it's too weak. And this brings me to an aspect of, which is very, very important for CTOs, is, is your company opportunity-driven or vision-driven? And a lot of times I see opportunity-driven startups where a customer says, we need this, or there's a small market opportunity, and then a startup does this, or this, or this, or this, or this. And then your objectives are very all over the place. They, they change a lot, and they don't move the startup forward. Whereas when you're a vision-driven startup, and um, your vision drives your strategy and your strategy drives your OKRs, then you're much more focused and it's much easier to come up with the right OKRs because the OKRs are the things, the objectives are the things that help you implement or make progress on your strategy. Stefan and I talked about opportunity versus mission-driven companies and what it does within product development organization how goal setting and delivery methodologies have an impact on the product development unit overall and in different company stages, how the CTO role can look like or should look like, and also how AI will impact software development. Then you can build trust and then you can spend less time communicating and more time just getting shit done. Then I went home and, and thought about this sentence. We basically put it on the table. Hiring takes time. People are trained. How to objectively judge certain situations. It's very, 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 very hard to change things. That was the learning. Entrepreneurs with empathy. On the people side. Today we have Stefan here, um, a CTO coach and seasoned CTO. He was an intro from Andre, who was also a CTO on my show. And um, welcome, Stefan. Thanks for taking the time and having a chat with me. I'm really looking forward to this. So maybe we start with a bit of intro plus context on um, yourself and also the connection to Andre. My pleasure. Thank you for being here. Um, yeah, a little bit of introduction. I'm a coder by heart. Uh, teach myself coding 40 years ago as a kid in a department store, having coded ever since. Um, but in between uh, 25 years, a uh, technical manager, uh, and now I'm a CTO coach helping CTOs, startup CTOs in fast-growing startups uh, navigate all the challenges that there are. And uh, Andre, a great guy. Um, I met him at Immobilien Scout 
um, in uh, where I got into Immobilien Scout to introduce Scrum or help Scrum from the inside with some external help. And uh, he was on my team. And uh, yeah, and when I left, uh, he became a successor because and no one noticed anything like Stefan was gone, but no one noticed anything because Andre is such a, such a really great manager. Yeah, cool. So you know each other already quite some, some time because this was 2009-ish, 2007-2009. Yes, yes, quite some time. Cool. I, and, I think um, we also did some talks together um, back then, conferences. Stuff. Yeah, it's great. That's great. And also, I think since then, the whole um, tech world, especially also in Berlin, really developed, right, over the past 15 years. Yes, it really did. Uh, just recently uh, on Twitter, on X, uh, there was a little bit of discussion about uh, Munich making a comeback um, in Germany, in the tech scene, startup scene. When I founded a startup with some friends in 1999, there were essentially no tech startups in Berlin. Some, but essentially none. Uh, everyone was in Munich. Like, why don't you found, in, uh, found a company in Munich? Everyone is there. And uh, yeah, how things have changed in the, in the last uh, two decades. Uh, tell us a bit more about the CTO coaching aspect. So what, how does this really look like? When is somebody coming to you saying, I, I want coaching, or is this even happening in that way? So maybe give us a bit more insights there. It's, uh, I think, it's an interesting topic. A little bit about CTO coaching. So you asked me, when are people coming? So I think people are coming too early, too late, or at the right time. Um, too early means they don't have problems that we can solve. So then we have some nice chats, but it's not working out because people are too early. They don't have real problems. Like if you have two developers, you probably don't have any problems or no significant problems. Um, and then some come too late. Um, which is usually because, which is that point where they are near a burnout and I can't help in any way um, with that um, when it's too late. Um, and they, I lost some of my clients because they joined too late in the coaching. So that's when I think they are too late. And then there's the right time uh, to join CTO coaching is when you have some uh, challenges as a CTO, like with scaling, with the team, with the setup, with security, um, with a lot of uh, problems that you have and you want someone to talk to um, who can share his, uh, his experiences um, and give some insights perhaps and also sometimes it ha helps a lot just talking about things. And um, can you also categorize it in terms of company size, engineering team size or scale of the company, revenue of the company, funding size? Is there any pattern you see? when the right time is there? Mm. It's often, so, so one aspect is often before or right after some financing round. Um, companies said, okay, you get some money if you, if you skill up the CTO, that's sometimes happening. Or before uh, some, some companies uh, think, okay, let's take a CTO coach um, before we have some finance round. And so it's, we sail through more smoothly And I also help a little bit um, in, in due diligence, technical due diligence preparation sometimes. Um, from the size perspective, I think it's between five engineers and 70, 80 engineers, something like that. Because as I said, before five, it's tough to identify problems. You can do a, essentially what you want um, without a lot of, 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 of uh, problems. 
and um, above that it gets a lot it gets very political usually uh, so at some point in a company size things get political and i'm not that interested in this so and uh, these kind of problems so I, that's i'd say is the upper um, and what do you mainly do then with the ctos um i have a little bit of a cto coaching model which is called bpa beginner experience professional amazing and there are some topics on it on every level which i have seen over and over again and we discuss these topics which is like something like uh, how to delegate right what to delegate these are topics uh, that often arise uh, but also how to and when to introduce middle management so these are topics we discuss um, so there are some topics i bring to the table and then there are the day-to-day the -day topics and the problems and challenges the cto has um, might be with people, might be with the CEO, might be with product, might be with, uh, um, with scaling. Sometimes it's technical problems and architecture problems, but surprisingly, this is a very, very small amount of time we spend on. I have seen a misconception out there. A lot of founders that are maybe not having a technical background think when they start off they need a cto right away but i think that's not no. true because in the beginning you just need an engineer right who's building the stuff yes. um at what point do you think a oh, good that you also agree <laughs> at, at what point do you think do you need a cto and how would you define the role of a cto maybe at a early stage company with let's say five engineers versus mid-stage a team of maybe 30, there is a full stack product development unit with product managers, designers, maybe several tech teams, and then maybe with a larger organizations where you also have engineering managers in place, maybe a VP engineering and so on. How, how would you define the role of a CTO in these different stages? So in the later stages, if you're bigger, I'm, I'm a strong proponent of uh, CPTOs, so someone who manages product and tech at the same time. It could be CTPO and or PTO, like if you focus on a P or focus on a T, depending on your business um, challenges um, in your market. Um, but I think it's 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 a good idea to make one person responsible for delivering and not splitting up the responsibility of delivering and implementing features into you. You find out what to build and you build it. And then you could create a lot of problems around this split up. So I'm a huge proponent of uh, CPTO. Um, where the CEO just delegates responsibility and ownership to build, find out, build great features um, for the customers, and there is no splitting up. So in a large organization, I'd say you should have a CPTO uh, managing both. And, and also um, driving budget and strategy and so on, and also yes, hiring and plans also, and everything. Yes, everything, um, especially uh, especially strategy, And understanding the business as a whole, I think one part where CTOs that are new struggle is understanding that you're now part of a managed top management team and that you need to drive strategy and also help the company as a whole and not just be the nerd on the table. That this is something a lot of people get wrong. So when you're bigger, um, more focus on strategy, more focus on vision, um, obviously. When you're smaller, I totally agree with you. You don't need to have a CTO. Often it's, okay, let's have a CTO. We don't need to pay a salary because it's a, he or she is a co-founder. Um, they, they work for free. 
kind of. Um, but the challenge there is that the role of the CTO changes so much. Every role is difficult. The head of marketing, VP marketing, sales is very, my, my, my wife uh, for some time was a sales consultant because she's um, in, in her startup. She also was head of sales. So sales, very tough thing. But uh, the CTO role is very, very difficult and I think very different to all the other roles because for two reasons. Um, you have a lot of problems as the first person in the company because your department grows fastest. You have the first one, you have a lot of employees. You're the first who has middle management. Um, you need to have uh, performance management and infrastructure in place and teams and team leads and manage through people. And often HR is not already there. So, you know, because the, the rest, the head of marketing, he has two or she has two people, um, you know, and the finance has two people or one, one person, one direct um, report. And, but you already have 10 people, you know, 10 engineers, and you need team leads and stuff. And HR is not yet there mm -hmm. uh, because they are with the problems of all the other people. So you, you encounter all the problems first. Um, because of the people size and because of your growth, because you have the largest department. Um, so this is one challenge, I think, for the CTO role. And the other is that it's changing so much. You start by an individual contributor writing real code. You, you write some code. And then you hire, then you need to hire people, you know. And then the challenge is, how do I hire people? How do I do that? And then you need to introduce team leads. And then you need to define a strategy for your architecture. In the beginning, you just, just write some code and deploy, but then at some time you need to find out where are we going? What are we doing? How is this working when we scale? How is this maintainable for the future? So your role changes a lot. And then you see your wants strategic uh, support, technical support in, in business decisions and all of these. So I think the CTO role changes every six months um, in the beginning of a startup. Uh, dramatically, and that's a challenge. And that's also the problem coming back to your question in the beginning or your remark in the beginning, should I make um, an engineer CTO? The biggest challenge, I think, is if you make someone CTO, can he change or she change? I'm sorry for saying, like, can they change um, fast enough uh, for the next three years? Are they adaptable or Definitely, are they yeah. just a good coder? In case you like my show, Please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. And I saw this so many times in startups because I come in from a talent acquisition perspective mainly. And when, when engineering hiring is um, a bottleneck, then sometimes you can also see that there are so many management structures missing overall. And that's usually also an indicator when an early stage engineer or let's say a founding engineer turns CTO for the first time then you see a lot of problems there. Um, big attrition, frustration, yes. um, no clear strategy, no clear expectation setting towards interviewing, towards um, evaluation. And then you also have a lot of tension within the teams because also a lot of inequality will exist through that. Um, and I think that's also also what engineers don't like, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah, I, 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 Nobody, I think, likes that. But especially there, I think it's um, more sensitive. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that's that's definitely true. Um, in terms of, I think you're also doing a lot um, or having a strong opinion around the whole goal setting piece. Um, we can call it OKRs or whatever we want to call it. Um, how do you see that for the tech 
Oroch. Um, also, also in importance to um, a, sol a CTO running their organizations in a solid way. So begin, to begin with, I think it's, if you're a CPTO, it's easier to have meaningful OKRs that have imp impact. Uh, it's a little bit tech diffic more difficult if you're a CTO because you're just kind of supporting product in delivering features. Um, I would like to start with a misconception. I think everyone thinks that a lot of concepts are the same, like KPIs, metrics, goals, OKRs. It's just the same thing, but it's not. Um, it's very different. A KPI is something very different than an OKR. Um, but I see this too often conflated, and this is not helping. Um, the OKR for me is about the objective and uh, having impact. So having an objective is something that changes the company, that changes the product, that changes the customer perception, something that has impact. It's, you know, after you achieved an objective, you're not the same company. So if you go to Mount Everest and you're at base camp, your objective is reaching base camp, then you're at base camp and, and you're no longer, um, I don't know what's, what's where you start, but, uh, you know, and base camp one and then you go to base camp two and it's it, it notably, noticeably different. And this is the same with OKRs. If, if the objective is not changing in some way, the company or the product or the mark, your market penetration or anything, then I don't think it's an objective. It, it's too weak. And this brings me to an aspect of, which is very, very important for CTOs, is, is your company opportunity-driven or vision-driven? And a lot of times I see opportunity driven startups where a customer says we need this or there's a small market opportunity and then a startup does this or this or this or this this and then your objectives are very all over the place they they change a lot and they don't move the startup forward whereas when you're a vision driven startup and um, your vision drives your strategy and your strategy drives your okrs then you're much more focused And it's much easier to come up with the right OKRs because the OKRs are the things, the objectives are the things that help you implement or make progress on your strategy. And so if you have a... Um, um, so how do you come up with the ob objectives? I think you need a strategy. And a, how to come up with a strategy? I think you need a vision. So coming back to the CTO, it's very important. And this is something uh, a lot of my clients and a lot of other CTOs I talk to miss is that you have a, a vision, a technology vision and a technology strategy that's, that's tied into the business, obviously. And that helps you grow from, from a plain technical perspective, grow into um, the technical department and the technical platform that you need to be. Mm -hmm. Whereas the OKRs from product are about product and, As I said, it's easier for a CPTO because it makes more sense. But if this, the CPO and the CTO is split, it's very important for the CTO to have a vision and a strategy and derive the OKRs from that um, and not come up like with random OKRs. Uh, sometimes CTOs think, oh, what, what should I have as an objective for this quarter? Um, mm. And then they don't know what to do um, and what to come up with. 
That's a very clear um, explanation. Thank you for that. And I think the opportunity versus vision drivenness um, is very clear on how you explain it, but also not so clear maybe for executives within the company noticing that um, because you are a bit in the tunnel vision sometimes, right? And I think especially you can see that there is um, an opportunity-driven approach when there is tension between the product guys and or people and between the tech people <laughs> because sometimes um, they then don't fully understand the bigger picture and um, just go from A to B, maybe even switching direction, um, and then nobody understands why and how. And um, but there are then a lot of dependencies and um, I would say frustrations coming up. So that's, I think, a good sign also to spot that. Or how do you see that? So my first thing that came to mind uh, with tensions is essentially sales, people, and tech, and product. Because uh, where I see opportunity-driven mostly is in B2B startups that are kind of influenced, strongly influenced by customers. You know, and then you come just become a kind of free development shop for the B2B customer. Um, and then we need to make that sale and for make that sale, we need that feature. And then you're just opportunity driven. But I see the same, um, if product doesn't have a strong vision, a strong product vision, then it also gets opportunity driven. And then you build feature after feature that does not make any sense in the whole part and they don't work. Um, so build something doesn't work, build something doesn't work. Um, and you know, you, you don't feel as a product is making any progress because you don't have a product vision and a product strategy. And what the result in technology often is, is often that in technology, you try to anticipate the future. You know, you build something and you try to anticipate the future. Where are we going? Where is the product going? Because we need to make some architectural decision, perhaps, or a database decision or some decisions now but by anticipating the future, you know. So and if product doesn't have a vision and a strategy and tech doesn't have a vision and a strategy, it's very, very difficult to anticipate the future. So whenever I look into, into coaching and into some architecture, you can clearly see that tech thought the product and the, the product is going in this direction, business is going this direction. So they built for that. But then business is going in that direction and you have a strong mismatch between the architecture and business. And then business says, okay, we want this feature. We want to have this button here. And technology says, oh, this takes three months. And the CEO thinks, well, why does this take three months? And the reason why something, some other reasons, but one reason why this takes three months is that the architecture uh, where the software is configurable, where it's easy to change, um, and the business vision does not uh, does not correlate, um, and that usually happens because there is no business clear business vision and strategy, product vision and strategy. So technology tries to anticipate a future, but doesn't have the information, and then they build something in the wrong direction, and then after some time they come up with the dreaded word for the CEO, which is rewrite. Uh, recently talked to a CEO and uh, and they said rewrite, and I thought, oh my. Um, some things have been going, going wrong. Um, but I hear it's, it's not some, to single out anyone, this is just happening, I think, um, in too many places. Yeah, rewrites are, I think, are happening all the time in, in, in startups, right? Because exactly of, of that, maybe that switch of direction or no 
long-term um, clarity on what, what should be the plan and therefore you just get going and at some point you see, oh, now we need to act more long-term and maybe we need to shift a bit direction. <laughs> yes. Um, and when we go now, let's say, from the level of abstraction, from goal setting into the delivery, um, there is also Scrum and all these um, agile methodologies. Um, what are your thoughts towards that? I recently, just recently, I, I looked up when I became a Scrum master, and it was something like 2005, 2007. So I became a certified Scrum master uh, very early on. Um, um, and because I also dabbed at university already in 19, end of the 1990s, dabbed, in, dabbled into uh, extreme programming. So I was a huge proponent of Agile. And as I said, uh, I helped uh, Immobilien Scout from the inside. They hired me because I was a certified Scrum Master. And then with some external, obviously with some external consultants uh, and trainers helping. Um, so I was a huge proponent of Scrum. When I, whenever I joined a company, um, I introduced Scrum um, to, to get some order into chaos. Um, my perception changed a little bit over the years. Uh, to because mostly because there are, I see a lot of problems with with Scrum and how people do it, and um, and and this creates a lot of problems in execution. Um, there are some minor things that are there, but there are some major things, and uh, also I think Scrum might not be adaptable to remote work because there are quite a lot of meetings, and meetings are very draining if you're remote work or if you're hybrid work. So I, my person, I think that my, my current thinking is there will be a replacement um, because it's just not working for remote work as good as it is. But there are some, without that, even without that, there are some major challenges. One of the challenges, biggest challenge perhaps, is that it, it devolves into waterfall. Uh, so a lot of Scrum, which should be agile, which should be, okay, let's learn about the market. Let's learn about the customer. Um, this is where the core of agile, I think, is, is, is learning. And the core of Scrum is learning about things in an um, uncertain environment. And um, But with a lot of stakeholders, uh, Scrum degenerates into waterfall process with long roadmaps. You know, people want to have certainty when they get something. Marketing wants to know when they get something. CEO wants to know when he or she gets something. So this is a problem, and then you're not doing agile essentially. And this, this um, roadmaps and and pinning sprints to features creates so many problems um, from my perspective and for my clients um, that I'm I'm not sure it's it's worth it. And uh, also one thing. Uh, with Scrum, I always see is uh, there is a product owner in Scrum, which is a great idea, but a product owner is not a product owner in many, many companies. Um, for me, ownership is if I own a car, I'm, I have to say where the car is going. You know, if I don't say, if I can't say the car is going that direction or that direction, uh, then I'm not owning the car. But the product owner most often can't say in what direction the product goes. The stakeholders are driving the car and not the owner. So it's, she's, she or he is no owner at all. 
So, and that creates a lot of problems because there's a lot of management overhead and communication and the, the team is not self-organized and not self-sustained. And, and um, yeah, everyone gets unhappy, I think. Uh, and one of the core reasons people are unhappy is because the product owner in most companies I've seen is not a product owner at all. In case you have any feedback or anything you want to share with me, please send me an email on thomas at peoplewise.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. And in case you really enjoy the show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. Interesting. Um, how do you see the whole AI movement impacting software development? Um, recently, we had a, a discussion uh, how long estimation, how long there will be software developers. And um, so some people thought, well, 20 years or 10 years. Some people thought five years. Um, some challenged the notion that uh, software development will go away. But I think there, is, um, there will be huge, huge changes in software development um, because of AI. Uh, it's not clear which roles will change in which ways, which roles will go away. Will product management go away? Will software development go away? Will QA go away? So what roles will go away and how will they change because of AI? But there are, will be huge, huge changes. And I think in 20 years, um, one will not recognize software development in the way we do it today. Uh, so it's, it's, I think it will be a totally different beast. For now, near term, it's, it's, it's amazing. When I write code, currently I write a lot of Go code. And when I write Go code or I have a newsletter, uh, I have some Python scripts managing my newsletter. And whenever I want to do something, like read something from the command line and read a CSV file or something, I just go to ChatGPT. It spits out the code. I, I, I read it, understand it, says, yeah, that should work. Copy it over and it works. So for a lot of these small tasks for now, um, I just use AI to generate the code. Especially mm. if I don't know the language that well. Like if I know it very well, done that a thousand times, like reading a CSV file in Go, I can write it, just write it down. But if I go to another language like JavaScript or Python or, you know, it's, it's very easy to just ask or go into a new framework or do something new. It's very, very easy to ask ChatGPT. And I think that's, um, there was this article by, uh, by Brooks, which is, which is, there is no silver bullet. It's a very famous article, a very famous computer science or programming engineering paper, which says there is no tool that's a silver bullet. There is no tool that speeds up development 10 times. And today I would argue uh, there is a silver bullet and AI is speeding up uh, software development tremendously. Mm. So because also you can use it for so many um layers of abstracting things right that you just want to do something and then you get the very specific task in different variations and you just know okay that's that's the outcome i want to achieve give me some solutions <laughs> yes yes yeah. and uh, and also in some other areas like data warehousing for example i help some startups migrate to uh, a newer data warehouse setup um, but in, in in the near future i don't think you will have any data warehouse architecture or something to just have just dump all the data into a big data lake 
have an AI system on top and then ask, uh, what are my top customers? How do, how are they, how are they categorized? How can I understand my best customers? Um, where do I lose money? And, you know, you can ask all these questions or draw a revenue curve for the last 12 months and then you get it. You don't have. That's so cool. I already did that for, for several yes. um, cases. When I planned a yeah. bit of um, businesses, <clears throat> then I just gave them some, let's say, information to say, build me out a scenario where this and this is happening. And then I got everything. And I was like, crazy. It took me maybe one or two hours in the past. And then on the details, you, you just add some numbers to, to, to get a bit closer on what you want to see. That's all done in, in five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what tools cool. have you been using for that? Um, just ChatGPT, to be honest. And, yeah. and they gave me a table and I just put it into the spreadsheets and then I had the numbers. Yes. And, and also with some amazing. calculations like interest rates compound in that with that factor, for for instance. Or um, um, yeah, so that, that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. So that will be the thing. I, uh, so so with, this will also have a huge impact. Currently, you have some setup with you have a, a BigQuery data lake and a BigQuery data architecture on top with a data warehouse, and then you have some perhaps Tableau or DS Studio or something on top. Uh, or you have snow, no snowflake or something, you know, and you have data engineers and data scientists and, and people looking to the plumbing and stuff. This, all of that will go away. You know, why, why should I have, for example, Tableau or something, if I can have just a chat and say, draw me up this dashboard with this and this and this, and then bonk, there. Mm. Um, yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, Stefan, interesting everything what you what you said and what we discussed so as a final question i always ask who is a guest that you know i don't know who i should interview next oh i don't know <laughs> um it doesn't have to come immediately but maybe if you think of it and somebody comes I will to think your mind of one, definitely but i'm just so bad with names and stuff um yes i will yeah. come up with one good because this is also how you got into the podcast yes right? so it's quite cool yes. actually Yes. Um, so okay. I, will, I will think of someone. For, for any technical people or I don't know, everybody listening, um, any advice in terms of a CTO coaching perspective um, as final words from your end? Everyone needs coaching. Yeah. Like if you want to, Good like time. it's everywhere, but it's not in tech. So everyone is taking coaches in sport or in music or the CEO. Um, so everyone is taking coaches and it helps tremendously and, uh, it's not, it's not that common in tech. So I think everyone needs a coach. I agree. I think I have seven coaches, um, overall currently. So it, and it really pays off. Thanks, Stefan. <laughs> it was nice talking to you. Yeah. Nice talking to you, Thomas. 